Hello and welcome to the CEO Blind Spots Show, where leaders reveal their blind spots and best practices. I'm your host, Birgit Camps, and today's guest is Matt Gilbert, CEO of Gilbert and Purdue, which has been recognized as one of the top 20 investment banks and just last month was recognized as being the most trusted investment bank in North America. Welcome to the show, Matt. Thank you. How are you today? I'm great and glad that you made the time to come on the show and that our friends George and James connected us. Yeah. The, cha- the challenge, of course, is how do I introduce you? Because there are so many successes you've had. A lot of people refer to you as an industry mover, and I think that probably summarizes a lot. But when I read your background, I thought, you know what? I consider you to be the needle mover <laughs> because you've moved <laughs> the needle as an investor, you've moved the needle as an entrepreneur, and you You've moved the needle, not just for you, but other companies. So tell us, what do you consider to be one or two of your best practices in terms of starting a company like you did or several where you, one you sold to S&P 500 public company, another one you sold to a private equity firm, and a third one to a Fortune 200 public company. And now you're helping tons of other companies do the same. Yeah, that's a lot. Thanks for having me on. I think it's fair to say that number one, I didn't do any of that by myself. I had partners, I had great management teams, and, and we built employee bases that were motivated and everybody was rowing the boat in the same direction toward the same goal. And that's how we've achieved success. So I think when I was younger, I I wasn't very good at hiring. And over the years, these experiences have morphed into kind of a process that now is the thing that that serves us so well. So this particular business that that I have right now, kind of my second or third career, I absolutely love it because my whole firm is in a place where we are serving others. And I love it because of who I get to work with. And so when my business partner, Brett, and I set out to build this organization, we kind of had to design the management team that was capable of being a disruptor in an old stagnant industry. And then once we had that management team in place, then we had to put together the next couple of layers of folks who are are pulling the levers for our clients and make sure that all of those are aware and capable of managing the largest transaction in our client's life. And in many cases, the last transaction in their life because we sell their company and they're retiring. And so one of the practices that I carried into this business was that we, we want to court the absolute best that we can find. A lot of folks have a brick and mortar office and people come to the office to work every day. And if you have that, you can only hire within a 15, 20, 30 mile radius of your office and expect people to drive in every day. So one of the initial decisions was we're going to set up a virtual organization from the start. And if the best person happens to be 450 miles away, then that's the person we want on our team. And so we had to set up an organization, be able to function in that atmosphere. And then, you know, once you make a list of the, the best people in the, just say CPAs, for instance, that do M&A, uh, we have several of those on staff. Make a list of the ones you want to interview, begin courting them. We position them hard with three to five interviews, lots of questions, bunch of tests. And What kind of tests? In our business, there's a lot of writing and, and you will find people with multiple MBAs who can't string a couple of sentences together that makes sense. So definitely writing. We were talking about the CPA. So there's accounting stuff. We move into our clients' accounting systems. So you have to know multiple systems and things like that. A lot of people will tell you what you want to hear on a resume, but you find out the depth of experience there. So, So position specific tests. 
Yeah. And but Matt, that means that you already have pre-identified what you consider to be A players. Is that right? Absolutely. And 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 we take the A players and and we refine them and see what bubbles up out of that. And these are what I consider to be the best of the best in the A player group. Then something interesting happens because a lot of companies, you know, court A players and position them and give them tests and things like that. But I'll go one step further. I want to talk to their spouse or to to somebody significant to them. And I want to make sure the decision to join our firm, especially at a senior level or or upper management level, is is one that's going to be in harmony with family goals, the the way the the place Mm -hmm. that they're at in their life. And if I get buy-in from the spouse and I get buy-in from the candidate and the two or three interviews that they've done with other folks on on our team go well, then I turn the tables on them. And this is where it kind of gets different. I'll, I'll ask them to think about it for two or three days. Then we'll set up a call where I absolutely try to talk them out of working here. And I, and I try everything I can. I tell them all the bad things that happened. I, I tell them the experiences that others might've had that were rough and we had to work through and we're not perfect and your coworkers aren't perfect and your customers aren't perfect. And all the things that, because no employment position is perfect, all the things that you might struggle with if you come to work here. And if I can't talk them out of it and they accept the job, inevitably two or three or four or six months later, they're going to be having a bad day, right? They're going to have Mm -hmm. a a work situation where I can sit down with them and I can say, hey, remember when I told you about this and you agreed that if that was the worst part of this job, that you would still love the job and and that kind of thing. And so that has really helped us in the last couple of companies that we've had and certainly here at Gap, put together groups of people who I think are going to work together until they retire. Oh, that's I, so I really, not only do you hire well, but you also have the same, then that strategy by default becomes a great retention strategy. Absolutely. Profit sharing and things like that help, but mm-hmm. it's a culture. And, and there are certain things that about the culture that these tests, these conversations are going to reveal. And most of our candidates will self-select and say, you know, after, after learning all this, I really appreciate it, but I don't think that's right for us or, or my family or whatever. And, and that's what I want. I, I don't want to make a hiring mistake and find that out six months into the, you know, into the employment situation. I'd rather find that out before we make the hire. And so when we do hire the last company for sure, and this one, people have stuck. I can't think of very much turnover at all. And and any turnover that I can think of wasn't associated with the business. It was kind of life situations for the individual. Yeah. So it sounds like that definitely has been the foundation for your success earlier in your career and even today. Yeah. (laughs) It's really important to understand what you're signing up for. And I think a lot of companies, especially the bigger you get, somebody like myself is removed from the interviewing and hiring process. It's there. The company exists for a reason and, and, and it's more than a paycheck. And so what is that? And how do you fit into that? And, and, and how can you contribute? You know, people want to get a paycheck, number one, but after you make a certain amount of money, it's, it's really about your contributions. And do you feel like your contributions are trivial or do you feel like they're really important? Things like that. So uh, we, we really focus heavy on that, even down to well into the ranks when we're when we're you know hiring young people and and folks that don't have near the experience. Well, I can see several best practices already in what you said, including allowing people to to not be in the office, but hiring the best no matter where they are and setting up virtually, which I can see that opens up the talent pool of a players to you. Yeah, we were we were virtual before COVID made it cool. And it was, it, our clients are generally older. And so the virtual conversation and the technology conversation that we were using pre-COVID 
was tough. Like we're recording remotely right now. And post-COVID, it's no big deal. Everybody gets it. So yeah. I, I just tell people we were we were virtual before it was cool. And proving my point that you're a needle mover. <laughs> and their point that you're an industry mover anyway. Well, Matt, this is going to be the, you can probably guess what I'm asking next, but that'll be the challenging part, which is, did you ever struggle as a leader? Yeah, man, there are blind spots for every lead. You know, you kind of mentioned some tidbits of of my 30 plus years in business at the opening. And and so I've been in leadership at multiple companies. Um, we've bought companies, we've sold companies along the way. And, and I can tell you that there's blind spots everywhere, uh, especially if you want to be a disruptor or you're a fast grower. Motivation is a big one, I would say, among the ranks of employees that are serving your customers. I have I have learned over the years that what I did in my 20s and 30s <laughs> as a motivator, it kind of worked, but we've refined and improved and, and learned a lot along the way. And so here I am in my mid-50s and, and motivate the workforce completely differently than we used to. Do you have uh, an example of where you realized or a story of when you realized what you were doing didn't work and how did you discover that? I think all the hard decisions really bubble up to the leader of an organization. Easier decisions are made throughout some other layer somewhere. And so when something gets to the CEO or the president or the founder, it can be, how does this fit within our vision, right? And if we break that vision up into little bite-sized manageable goals and we set expectations and we inspect what we expect and we course correct along the way, well, then where does this individual who I'm trying to motivate fit into that spectrum? And the last company I had, we we had a lot of truck drivers and that's a blue collar position, but our salespeople were, were more white collar people and they were selling really technical stuff. And so motivating those two groups differently is not only a challenge, but it's necessary. And what uh, was the aha moment? moment when you realized you had an issue? I think the aha moment was at a Christmas party where the wife of a dock worker in one of our warehouses came up to me and on a white shirt and a blue tie and was telling me about her kids and started tearing up. And I gave her a hug and I had mascara and makeup on my white shirt. And we talked about what working for this company meant to her family and to her children mm-hmm. and to the opportunities that her husband got through the business that their family would never get. We were putting her children through college. And Mm -hmm. so it's just, it's personal and Mm -hmm. it matters. And employment is where people spend so much of their life. It's got to be good for their family in order for them to be in a good headspace to serve your clients well. And so to really break that down department by department, job function by job function, and, and really think through how does working in this business, in this environment, taking home this paycheck affect your family? You know, everybody, well, not anymore, but a lot of folks have medical, vision, dental, insurance, those kind of things. But what other deeper, more personal things affect those families? This, you mentioned the term retention earlier, is, is that if you can get the company, you know, really benefiting families, there have been several times in my career where an employee came up to me and said, Hey, I just want you to know a couple of months ago, I was, I was really unhappy at work and my wife or my spouse would not let me change jobs. Wow. Working here is too important to our family. And so that's why I came to you and we worked through the issues and now I'm, I'm feeling a lot better about it again. It's kind of how those conversations have gone, but I don't know of many companies where that's a, a real focus at the management level. And, and I think it's a differentiator for us. Yeah. And how did you learn to lead effectively? By doing it wrong in a lot of cases when I was younger. Example? I started, yeah, I started my, my, my first 
service company in high school and I couldn't drive. I didn't have a driver's license yet, but what we did required driving. And so I think having a vision that I had to sell to people is is how I personally lead, right? So mm-hmm. way back then, and when I was a freshman in high school, I started a business. I've got to go meet with David and Corey and a couple of other Jeff's parents to convince them that I'm hiring them partly because they're my friends, but also because they each have a pickup truck, right? And mm-hmm. and sell the parent on the vision that it'll be good for their child to work with me and use the vehicle that they provided for their kid in that. And so, and then we learned in that same instance, we were, we were mowing yards, right? In that same instance, that communication with our customer. So we ended up getting all the business from a couple of realtors for people that were in transition. And what I found that what we originally thought the business model was, wasn't working. Again, I was a teenager. So, you know, our clients were people that were in transition and, mm-hmm. and we had to pivot our business model to make sure that we had a sustainable, non-seasonal business. And those lessons learned then have carried me all the way forward. I talk about those lessons from, from that first company which was not a huge company, but we ended up having quite a few employees, far more than I talk about the last company, which which had 80 million in revenue, because I think they were foundational lessons for everybody has to be provided value in a transaction with the company, or you're not going to get a repeat business. You're not going to get a referral to a new employee. Suppliers aren't going to support you. And so actually recently we had the opportunity to do business with a company and they wanted to cut a deal that was pretty one-sided and far better for us than it was for them. And my business partner, Brett, and I talked about this and, and we decided that we don't want to do a deal that's far better for us than it is for them. And so we taught those young people how to cut a deal with us that was more fair to them. And because we did that, we feel like we're going to have a really long-term fruitful relationship between Mm -hmm. the organizations. When a shorter-sighted leader might have taken that deal that was pretty one-sided and milked it for what it was worth, I think we just have a longer vision than that. Yeah. Another best practice, long-term relationships. That's how I was referred to you. So as we start to wrap up the show, do you have a tip or two regarding how people can make it through crisis? Yeah, we're an M&A firm and about 75% of our business is helping other business owners transition into retirement. So I get to look under the tent at a lot of companies now. And so the last three or four years, I've really become very aware that a lot of businesses that have been in the marketplace a long time, they, they just outlasted their competitors. I We're in the Houston market. There were two hurricanes in the last 12 or 13 years that wiped some businesses out financially. COVID has a number of businesses financially. The, the 2008 mortgage crisis hit businesses financially. And so a lot of folks are where they are as kind of leaders in their space or have a really long track record because they were able to weather those storms. And so now it's probably changed in the last two months, but has been plentiful and cheap and money is easy to get your hands on to expand and grow. And if you leverage your business too much in times like this, you're not going to be able to survive times when challenges come and, and hit you financially. And, and so I think attrition is probably one of the under talked about crisis management issues where you need to have some dry powder that you need to have for downsizing and for weathering a storm because there's always a storm in business. Yes, as, as we might see again with the current unfolding news, but I certainly appreciate you being willing to share your wisdom. And I'll put this in the description, but I know if people 
people want to know more about your company, they can go to gap-advisors.com and you've got some free tools that people can use to see how sellable their business is. So thank you again. I know you're a busy man and appreciate the way you contribute to other leaders today via my show. Oh, yes, ma'am. I'm, I'm really proud to be on here. I thank you for having me. And if any of your listeners want to reach out, I'd be more than happy to help folks if we can. 